Welcome to Truth and Liberty. Thank you for joining our daily live call-in broadcast where trusted leaders bring biblical insights to the issues and you can call in and get your questions answered in real time. According to the Bible, it's the truth you know that sets you free. So call in today to get answers, information, and resources to help you stand for truth and effect godly change in our nation and the world. And now here's your host, Alex McFarland. Welcome to a special edition of Truth and Liberty. Hi, Alex McFarland here. So glad you're watching. We've got a great show tonight because we're going to talk about the basic foundational truths of the Christian faith. We'll meet uh, a best-selling author and a voice that we want you to know about, Israel Wayne. And we'll talk about just some of the bedrock basic truths, some of the non-negotiables theologically that make Christianity what it is. I do want to welcome you to this edition of Truth and Liberty, and I want to say it's special on a number of levels. Listen to this, folks. As you know, it's Christmas week. Christmas is coming up now in in a week, and it's what C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle, the incarnation, how that God took on a human body and Christ came onto the stage of human history, born in the Bethlehem manger, ultimately to go to Calvary's cross, to rise from the dead, to be our Savior. And I really hope you're, you're thinking about the Lord Jesus and Christmas and redemption. So much we can talk about about that. And I hope you're planning on Christmas Eve, December 24th, to be in church on Sunday. You know, utilize this time to invite somebody to go to church. Folks, do you know there was a LifeWay study about two years ago, two and a half years ago, that of millennials and younger, young adults with no church background, 86% said that they would strongly consider going to a worship service if a friend invited them. Isn't that amazing? Almost 9 out of 10 unchurched millennials and younger that uh, as far as the surveyors knew, didn't have a church background, weren't Christians, but they said that they would strongly consider going to church if a friend invited them. So let me just say it, leverage this Christmas season. This is a time you can very, very, very comfortably invite somebody to join you in church and bring somebody under the sound of the gospel. What a wonderful time Christmas is. But also, I want to say this is significant. I'm told, I just found out, that of Truth and Liberty, which began in March of 2023, that this is my 50th episode that I've hosted. I didn't realize it was that many. Usually I'm on Tuesday nights and then occasionally on another night of the week when I'm needed. But I just want to say, number one, thanks to the good Lord for allowing me to do this. It's a great honor. I'm thankful to Andrew Womack and Richard Harris. And I am thankful to a crew. Now, you may not know this, folks, but we don't just turn on a computer and there we go. There are cameras, there are monitors, there are lights, there's streaming, there's editing, there's syndication, so many things. And I want to say that we couldn't do these 50 shows over the last nearly 10 months without a great crew that the Lord has provided. So kudos to one and all. And uh, what an honor. And I can't believe it won't be too long. We'll be coming up on the Truth and Liberty show being on for a year. Well, let me say something else that excites me. Whenever I see somebody that is effectively imparting 
biblical truth to people. And one such person God is using in a mighty way is Israel Wayne. For, for a number of years, a couple of decades actually, he's been in the world of apologetics and biblical worldview, two things very near and dear to my heart. And he has got a book out that I got a copy of last week, Foundational Truths, A Modern Catechism. And he's our guest tonight. We're going to drill down deeply on the importance of truth and several things, imparting truth to young people. But uh, first of all, Israel Wayne, welcome to your first visit, first of many probably, on truth and liberty. We welcome you. Well, thank you, Alex. It's a great honor to be on your show, so I'm looking forward to it. Well, indeed. Hey, I want to commend you. I was looking at the table of contents, and by the way, your book is laid out so beautifully. Uh, a lot of great art. I love the structure of it, but the table of contents is awesome because just like the title implies, I mean, you go over the foundational truths that people need to know about a biblical worldview. Tell us about the book because I've got, got a lot of questions for you, but how did you come to write this uh, your most recent book? Well, one of the ways the Christian church taught children and new believers for centuries was through what's called a catechism. And some people associate that as being something that's identified with the Roman Catholic Church, particularly if they grew up in that tradition. They may have gone to catechism classes as a child, and they may have experienced that, but if they have become Protestants and have joined more of the Protestant evangelical Christian world, then uh, they may have not noticed that term or that concept being promoted. And so some people, uh, when they've heard that I've written a catechism, they've been a little confused by that. And they've said, isn't that Catholic? Uh, but basically, catechism just simply means questions and answers. It's mm -hmm. a format of teaching. And the first Protestant catechism that was written was actually written by Martin Luther, who developed a catechism for children. And most Protestant churches since that time have taught using this method. Uh, but I, I've tried to trace exactly where it fell off, like where it became unpopular within uh, evangelical Christian circles. And it seems to me that sometime after the American Civil War, when the Sunday school movement really began to take prominence, that a lot of denominational publishers began to put out Sunday school quarterlies and to develop resources that were very closely aligned with their particular denomination and, and dropped off using some of the historic catechisms. And so perhaps sometime in the, the second half of the 19th century, it sort of fell out of favor. And uh, I've always liked the idea of teaching children in that format and, and teaching new believers that way. Um, but as I've gone back and looked at the historic catechisms that um, are available, and there's still many great ones that are out there, um, the language is archaic and it's kind of outdated because mm -hmm. some of them are several hundred years old. And yeah. so we wanted to produce a catechism that held to uh, faithfully historic Christianity, but that was repackaged in a way that is contemporary and that uses modern English and that uh, everyone will be able to identify with. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is so important. My, my heart resonates with you because, you know, uh, Israel, whether it's contemporary worship or traditional worship, look, th there are some foundational biblical realities of discipleship that every born-again believer needs to know. I mean, we need to know about the Trinity. We need to know about the deity of Christ. We need to know about the atonement 
Um, somebody asked me today about 1 John 2.2. 2. Uh, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. And uh, a man said he was a believer for 30 years. He asked me, what in the world does that word propitiation mean? So don't you think it, it's important and really biblically obedient to impart these timeless truths as much as we possibly can to impart these biblical truths to each and every Christian? It is essential. And I think sometimes uh, Christians don't know what they believe. They don't know why their beliefs are true, but they also certainly don't have a way of being able to communicate to others what they believe. And a catechism is really helpful in that way because it just gives very short, succinct answers to questions. And in our catechism, we took what I believe are probably the 52 uh, most significant questions that we could be asking about Bible doctrine. We just answered them in short paragraph uh, responses, and those responses are really drawn from the scripture itself, as opposed to it being someone's opinion uh, about how uh, to answer these doctrines. We try to draw directly from Bible verses, and so mm -hmm. it gives people confidence that they can have a short, succinct answer to these questions, uh, and, and it's a very useful tool, as I said, for teaching children, but also uh, new believers in Christ, or as you said, even people who have been in church their whole life, but still really don't understand the basic doctrines of Christianity. Well, and, and you know, let, let me just say this, uh, and by the way, folks, we will get to questions. If you have a Bible question for tonight, or I mean, it could be a, a question about some doctrine, Israel, Wayne, and I will do our best to give you a factual biblical answer. The number, and we'll get to the phones here in a few moments, but the number is 719-619-2341. Israel, you, you know what's, um, I think, significant? I, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and I remember as a child, we went through the shorter catechism, little bitty short, shorter catechism. Now, it really wouldn't be until I was age 21 in college that I really felt like the Lord Jesus got a hold of my life and I really began to walk with Jesus as a Christian. But you know what? Uh, the catechism questions like, what is the chief end of man to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Um, all of these things came flooding back to me. Things maybe I learned when I was 10 or 12 years old. At the time, you didn't see a lot of fruit. And then at 21, when the Lord Jesus majorly came into my life and I was born again. But I think, like in the title of your book, foundational. You know what, folks, with a, a building, you might not see the, the footings or the foundation because it's under the ground, but without that foundation, the house would not stand. Isn't it like that, that we plant these seeds, God's word does not return void, and, and adults, evangelizers, whether you're using uh, just the Bible or you're using some wonderful publication like Israel has written to catechize and teach, and it really means instruction, the, to lay this solid, biblically accurate foundation, it's essential. And Isaiah, I think in some quarters we see the fruits of not having laid that foundation as many people fall away from Christ. These truths are essential, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, anyone who's followed like Dr. George Barna's research, you know, he said that anyone who is under the age of 29 years old in America right now, uh, there's only 1% that hold to the basic essentials of biblical Christianity. 
So we've really fallen from where we were even 50 years ago in terms of biblical knowledge and uh, people understanding the foundational truths. And you know, we wanted to make sure we emphasized as well what are called primary doctrines, uh, the doctrines that are the most essential or the most core for Christianity that define what Christianity is. Um, there are secondary doctrines, and this is where Christians start to disagree a bit, uh, where, where they have differences, and that's part of why we have so many denominations. But we wanted to hone in on the things that all true Christians have always believed for 2,000 years. And so this is not denominational. It's not sectarian. Uh, this is something that regardless of what corner of the Christian community you're from, whether you're, you know, Reformed Presbyterian or Anabaptist or Pentecostal Charismatic or Fundamental Baptist, you're going to say these are things that we all agree on because these are the essentials of the Christian faith. Amen. Uh, let me read some of these out of the table of contents. And folks, this uh, book, uh, you will not be disappointed. In Israel, I get asked to review a lot of books, and yours is, is very much worth having. Uh, how can we know there is a God who made God, who is God? How can God be one and yet three persons, the nature of God? How did Jesus purchase our salvation? Here's a great question. Did Jesus sin during his lifetime? Now, uh, am, am I right? There, there are like 52 questions, right? That's correct. So I, I'm assuming like for 52 weeks in the year, it'd be good to study one of these for, for a week. Uh, first of all, Israel, how did you come up with this, this particular list of questions? Well, thankfully, we do have historic uh, catechisms to draw from. As I said, there's Luther's Catechism, there's an Anglican Catechism, the Westminster Catechism, which you grew up with. There was the, the larger and shorter Catechism. Um, there's a Baptist version, which um, some people just call the Baptist Catechism, but most people call Keech's Baptist, uh, uh, Catechism. And so uh, I was able to draw from uh, a wide range of these, the Heidelberg, which is kind of from the, the Dutch uh, church, and so I went through, what are the questions that are kind of in common with all of these catechisms that they all feel are essential and that they all address? Uh, but the, the wording is clunky, again, with some of those. And so we wanted to just put them in modern vernacular that was very easy for everyone to be able to understand. You know, um, I, I want to ask you something, your response, uh, because I, I really respect the way you think. Oh, I don't know, a decade ago, I was working on a project for a Christian publisher, and um, in the Reformation, okay, folks, listen to this, because this is history that impacts all of us today, but one of the real um, core values of the Protestant Reformation was what we call priesthood of the believer, that, you know, we don't have to go through some uh, human intermediary, we pray directly to Jesus, Jesus is the, the bridge between God and man. He is our Savior. We pray straight to Jesus. And priesthood of the believer and Christian liberty, that's a good thing. But 10 years ago, Israel, I was in a publishing meeting, and even the most basic uh, Christian beliefs, uh, you know, we had people all around the table that were dickering and debating about these things. And I kept hearing people say, well, what the Bible means to me, uh, as if this subjectivism trumped the objective truth of the word. 
And this thought went through my mind. I thought it's almost like we've reformed out too far, that priesthood of the believer has become kind of this militant autonomy. Do you, do you think that we as the church, especially in the West and in America, we need to sort of reel it in a little bit and realize that um, we don't have the right. Being free in Christ doesn't mean I'm free to twist the Bible any which way, that we all, if we're a born-again believer, if we claim to be Christian, we must submit ourselves to the authority of God's Word, shouldn't we? Absolutely. And I've actually kind of looked into the historical roots of where some of that subjectivism came in to Christianity. And so, again, uh, you look at the 19th century, there was something called the Second Great Awakening. Okay. And it had some great value, but there were also some problematic elements. And so the way that people were invited into the church prior to that was they would come to catechism classes and they would learn objective biblical doctrines. And then they would have to uh, be confirmed in the church and they would have to give the, the correct answers to the Bible doctrines and they have to agree with a, a confession or a statement of faith, if you will, and say, I believe these historic doctrines and biblical doctrines of Christianity. And then the church would allow them to come into membership within the church. Well, Charles Finney saw that there were some people who had been raised in these situations who had answered all of the catechism questions, had been invited into church membership, and maybe had been church members for many years, and yet they had never really experienced rebirth. They had not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. They had not been born again, as we would say in evangelical vernacular. Right. And so he saw that as a problem. And so he started working outside of these traditional churches and holding open-air meetings and, and preaching repentance and calling people to personal salvation with Christ. And there was a great aspect of that because there were many churchgoers who had head knowledge, but they had not really repented of their sins, and they had not really submitted to Christ's lordship. And so Finney had a, did a great service in one way. But the downside to it was that now Christianity became very personal and subjective, where you could go to an open-air meeting, you could respond to a preacher's sermon, walk the sawdust trail, so to speak, uh, yeah. say a sinner's prayer, and now you're deemed a Christian. And there was kind of a, a tradition that followed out of that with D.L. Moody and Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, and so on into to modern evangelicalism. And, and what ended up happening was Christianity— became disconnected from local church and objective doctrine. And it became very much about me and my personal relationship with Jesus. And so obviously Christianity is about a personal relationship with Jesus. And that's right. a good thing. And I think it's great that Finney emphasized that. But there were many people who began to feel like, I don't need the church and I don't need theology and I don't need doctrine. Uh, me and Jesus have our own thing going. And so I think that's where we started to see some of that split historically was during that time of the Second Great Awakening. And, and it's part of where some of this objective teaching of Bible doctrine fell off. And so one of the things, just to wrap this up, is one of the things in our catechism that we do is we have a section in there on life application. And then we also have a, a prayer to kind of personalize and internalize this because we don't want to be like James warns about where we're hearers of the word only deceiving ourselves, 
we want to put this into practice in our lives as well. And so our goal is that we do believe the right doctrines. We believe the right things that are biblically objective, but then also that these things get internalized within our heart uh, and that the Holy Spirit takes the word of God and it transforms our hearts and lives so that we really do become new creatures in Christ and live in a way that pleases God. The book title, folks, that I highly recommend you check this out. It's Foundational Truths, A Modern Catechism by Israel Wayne, our guest tonight on Truth and Liberty. And uh, I would urge churches, use this in, in your, call it Sunday school, small group, or maybe your Sunday night or Wednesday night services. But Israel, where can people find the book? Well, for those who uh, are watching the video, I'll just show you a picture of it so you know what to look for. But uh, if you order this yeah. on our website, familyrenewal.org, familyrenewal.org, uh, you will get a signed copy uh, or signed copies of any that you order from our website. That's something Amazon won't do for you. Yeah. Uh, and I sometimes remind people, because a lot of people don't know how Christian publishing works, but if you buy the, the book on Amazon, it'll be like $20. If you buy it from our website, it's like $20. But on Amazon... Uh, as an author, I'll make like a dollar eighty on that twenty dollar book, and Amazon basically keeps the profits, and that's why they own the world. So, uh, if you uh -huh. buy directly from a Christian author or from the Christian publisher, uh, then you're actually keeping more money involved in Christian ministry. So, uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon will be doing just fine either way. Uh, but we do encourage you to, uh, whenever possible, support Christian ministries uh, and buy directly from Christian ministries, Christian authors, Christian publishing houses uh, when you have the opportunity. It's usually the same cost. And in this case, you can get a signed copy at familyrenewal.org. Brother, I, I give you a big hearty amen. And, and as the author of a number of books myself, everything he just said is really true, folks. Uh, through Amazon, and I realize it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere. Uh, we writers get like pennies on the dollar, but if you buy directly from our own websites, that helps the cause. Familyrenewal.org. Uh, hey, let me share an illustration, and uh, I want you to, I, I think it's a valid comparison or illustration. When I was back in college, I wanted to sell cars because I love cars, right? So I went to work for a major car dealership, and I had like two weeks of training before I ever got out there on the lot to sell cars. I went through two weeks of training, eight hours a day for two weeks, right? And they were saying, okay, you do a test drive, you take the customer in, and they fill out a credit application, and they fill out a sales contract, and you agree on a price, they give you a down payment. Now listen to this, Israel. They said, uh, make sure the customer understands they're buying a car. Make sure the customer understands the commitment they're making. And I'll never forget, I asked my supervisor, I said, how could they not understand? They're, they're putting a down payment, they're signing a contract. The trainer said, oh, you don't realize, Alex, that they can be in the car with the payment coupon driving away, and they're like, wait a minute, you mean I'm obligated for the next three years, I've got to make this payment? And I was thinking about this the other day. When we share the gospel, we need to make people aware of the commitment because it's not just recite a prayer and then decades from now I'll die and go to heaven. I mean, isn't the gospel call a call to be a disciple? And, and I really think that we as 
I'm an evangelist. I'm a teacher and speaker. I know you're a, a representative of the gospel too. We, we need to really help people understand what a Christian commitment and what, what it means to be a believer. Um, it is not a superficial 30-second paragraph of words we recite. To be a Christian is a commitment of one's life and one's all, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And I think we've tried to make the gospel so palatable, and we've also tried to create oversimplified ways of explaining what the gospel is. And it's become very problematic that people really see Christianity as sort of a self-help plug-in to help them to have a better life, to be more yeah. successful, to make more money, to avoid being sick or you know whatever. They see it as their pathway to basically getting God's rubber stamp of uh, blessing on everything that they choose to do with their life. And uh, that's not the call that Jesus put out to those who would follow him. And so, yes, we have to be faithful in presenting a biblical gospel as opposed to the sort of easy believism version that is so quickly peddled within our evangelical church circles. Uh, Jesus isn't just my life coach who periodically comes into my life a couple of times a year. Uh, he's, he's Lord and God and Savior and Master of all, or at least should be, right? Yes, and I'm grateful that uh, there are faithful Bible teaching ministries like yours that are reminding people of this truth. And, you know, I remember being in a, a jail ministry one time. I was actually in a, a youth uh, prison uh, as a volunteer chaplain for about six years. And I remember a dear friend, and God bless him, you know, good Christian man, but he had this kind of oversimplified way of explaining the gospel to people. And we had an inmate, and he said, have you ever asked Jesus into your heart? And uh, the, the young man was actually on—he um, was facing murder charges. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, no, I haven't. And he said, would you like to do that right now? You can just say a quick prayer. You know, as soon as you say that prayer, you're guaranteed to go to heaven. You know, just pray these words. Would you like to pray these words after me? And the guy was kind of like, no. And uh, I told my friend, I said, just hold on a second. I said, let me just ask a question. I said, have you ever heard of Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of the Bible. Have you ever heard of Jesus? Do you know who Jesus is? said, no. <laughs> so I think we need to back up a little bit, yeah. you know? And so I think that there's a presumption sometimes even that people have more biblical background than they actually do. And we, we often have to start, again, at these foundational levels. Yeah, we, we really do. And your book does such a good job of that because, uh, you know, in every generation, the, the truths of the Bible need to be reasserted but I was speaking in an elementary school not long ago, Israel, and was talking to kids, and they'd never heard the story of Noah's Ark, right? That's and right. I mean, we would think, well, all children have heard of Noah's Ark. But they, they really haven't. And Jesus and the fall, the promise of a Savior, the call of Abraham, the nation of Israel. I mean, so many of the, the core, well, it's, it's just kind of a knowledge base that you know, you would think all adults would at least have some knowledge of just to be conversant, and and they don't. But isn't it a thrill and really just, I think, inv invigorating to tell people these things because the Spirit of God can use this to bring them to an encounter with Jesus and be saved. It's, it's thrilling to share these things, isn't it? 
It absolutely is because it's the word that does the work. The scripture is what's alive and powerful and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's going to do the work, but we have to deliver the word, not our opinions, not our own twist, but the word of God itself. It has the power of God to salvation through the work of the Holy Spirit. We just have to deliver it faithfully. That's our job. We can't save people, but we can deliver the word faithfully. I'm, I'm curious, how long did you work on this book? This project was about a year uh, in the in the making, and uh, I will say that I was benefited by the fact that I had 500 years of church history uh, to draw from, and so that was very helpful that I wasn't just starting from scratch. Uh, but sure. yeah, this this took Hold a while. Time. Forgive uh, me, it's, I'm it's sorry. It's much We've harder than you think. Up. Alex McFarlane here with Israel Wayne, our guest. Foundational truths of modern catechism. Your questions and more when we come back. Hey, you know, a big part of what we do here at Truth and Liberty is to provide you with the resources that you need in order to stand for truth in the public square. So I want to remind everybody to go to our website and check out our resources page at truthandliberty.net slash resources, where you can find material that discusses just about every issue we're facing today in our culture. And these are things that are prepared by our strategic partners and some of the uh, most influential and important organizations in America today. Andrew has many conferences and seminars around the globe each year. For the latest information on Andrew's complete speaking schedule, visit our website at awmi.net slash events. You were created with a purpose, written in the heart of God. Long before you were born, He is calling you to find it. We want to help you experience His unconditional love, to be equipped and empowered to become a world changer. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. So honored that you're watching. Hey, by the way, in all of this talk about Christian truth, maybe you need prayer. Maybe you need some clarity about what it means to know the Lord personally. So we've got a number if you need prayer or you want to talk to somebody. Look, no obligation, no strings attached. We just want to encourage you and from God's Word, show you what the Bible says about your situation in life. And maybe you need to come to Christ and you say, I want to make sure that I'm saved. Or maybe maybe you need to come back to Christ. But look, uh, you'll talk with a friendly voice and we just want to help and encourage you. That number for spiritual help and encouragement, listen to this, 719-635-1111. 719-635-1111. If you need prayer, we invite you to call that number. By the way, we want to tell you about the Truth and Liberty website, truthandliberty.net. You can go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe, and all of the articles that Richard Harris and Andrew Womack and Dwayne Sheriff and myself, the, the regular hosts, and so many things are on that website. I got an email this morning with an article that Richard Harris had written about anti-Semitism, which is a very prominent thing in the culture right now, the really the animus and the hatred against the Jewish people. But you won't be disappointed. And these are resources like our guest. We're talking about the church being strong 
the church being biblically grounded in the Word of God. And you need this grounding and this strength. We all do. I need it in the times in which we live to thrive for Jesus Christ. You can go to truthandliberty.net slash subscribe, and you'll get all of the content that is being put out on the website. Well, now, questions, and we'll continue our conversation with author, speaker, worldview, and apologetics expert Israel Wayne. Here's the number for questions, 719-619-2341, And uh, Brother Israel, will it be all right if we pick up the phone and talk to some viewers? That'd be great. All right. We are going to begin in Virginia, for the Commonwealth of Virginia, Bradford. Thanks for holding. You're the first caller on our 50th show, 50th edition of Truth and Liberty. Welcome, Bradford. Well, thank you. It's an honor to be on. Um, and yes, you are right. We're not a state. We're a commonwealth. But uh, good evening to both and, you gentlemen. And what does so, that mean? I, I have to confess, I don't completely know what that means. means we're better than a state. Exactly. Very good. <laughs> Actually, I don't know what it means. I think it's I think it goes back to the old British colonies. It was it was a just a different designation. Um like Pennsylvania, that's a commonwealth. Um Texas is actually I think called a republic. A republic. The republic is Texas. Yeah. That that's right. Uh, we we should do a uh, a show about our states and geography and I believe now, we'll revisit this as it gets closer. I believe I'm going to be in Virginia speaking in February. But uh, what's your question tonight, Bradford? And thank you so much for calling in. What's your question? Well, I'm, um, I'm really a student of apologetics um, because I think a lot of people are afraid of sharing their faith because somebody's going to upend them with a question. And this is one that has actually kind of plagued me for a number of years. Um, I was speaking to a Muslim friend of mine, and I said, can you be absolutely sure that you are going to heaven? And he said, well, we it's like a balance. We have our good deeds and our bad deeds, and we hope that our good deeds outweigh our bad, but it's mm. up to Allah whether he decides. And you might have many good deeds, but Allah may decide that you're not going to heaven. So there's no way you can be sure. But then he turned the tables on me and he said, but your own Bible in, uh, in Romans and several other places, and it talks about predestination or the Calvinist doctrine where, um, you know, some of you are predetermined, predestined before the foundations of the earth were laid down. So how can you know for sure? And I I got thinking about that. Well, one is the, you know, pre predestination, how can you be sure? But then, um, you know, in the Bible where it says that there'll be people that say, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we heal? Didn't we do this in your name? They are sure they're going to heaven. And Christ says, no, I never knew you. So that adds another little layer of doubt in there. And then the third thing is, um, when you profess to be a Christian, but you have these weaknesses, these temptations, things that plague you, maybe alcohol or pornography or drugs or, or anger issues, whatever, and you pray to God to please take them from you or give you the strength to overcome, and then you don't, 
do that. Um, it doesn't seem to happen. Um, you know, I've heard somebody make the case that, well, that's because you're not really one of God's chosen. You're just going through the motions. So it's kind of a long question. It's a three-part question dealing with being absolutely sure, predestination, and when God doesn't take things from you that are keeping you from better serving him, does that mean that you're not one of his chosen? So, sorry great. to get that up that way, but have at it, guys. Uh-huh. Bradford, that, that's a great question. And folks, the broad term, I'm going to throw out an 85-cent word here, the word soteriology, from the Greek word soterios, which means to save. I really think every Christian needs to get a handle on soteriology, which is salvation and my relationship to Christ. Well, uh, Israel, there's a lot in here, and my goodness, what a joy to talk about this and we know, here, here's the simple message, but Israel and I, we're going to do our best to really unpack this. We're sinners. Christ died on the cross for our sins. The wrath of God that we deserved, I deserved it. The catechisms will say, you know, God's wrath and his just displeasure. God is right to judge sin, but God is also merciful. And Jesus, 1 John 2, 2, he took the wrath of God, and if we repent and turn to Christ, we turn from sin to Christ. The Word of God says that we are cleansed, we're made new, we're regenerated. Uh, and to your point, Brad, about talking with a Muslim, what's different about Christianity, the true Christian gospel, is we have the promises of God's Word and God will not betray his word, and we can know where we stand with God because God will not go against the promises of his word. But um, Israel, let, let's talk about this a little bit. First of all, let me ask you this. Can a person confidently know that they're saved and bound for heaven? Well, there's an entire book in the New Testament that was written to try to help answer this question. And this book is called First John. And one of the things that the author John says at the beginning is that these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. Not suspect, not hope, not wonder, and not cross your fingers, but that you may know that you have eternal life. And I think we have to acknowledge that in Ephesians 1, it does talk about how God has, has predestined and has chosen us to be conformed into the image of Christ. And so that's biblical terminology. We don't want to run from that. We don't want to duck it. Uh, I will say that uh, in this broadcast, we will not solve 500 years of church history debate over Calvinism and Arminianism. That won't get solved in this in the time that we have allotted here tonight. Uh, be better and brighter minds than uh, Alex and, and I and the crew all put together have wrestled over that issue. Um, but, but Paul said that we should examine ourselves, we should yeah. test ourselves to see whether or not we are in the faith. Because not everyone who says to him, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so when you say, well, well, how should we do that? How can we test ourselves to see if we are in the faith? Well, this epistle of 1 John gives us several tests. 
that uh, that John lays down to help us to be able to identify uh, whether we are in Christ or not. And so, as Alex said, of course, it begins with the uh, confession of our sins, the acknowledgement that we are sinners in need of a Savior. But then John says, asks these questions. He says, do you love God? Because that really is essential to this relationship of salvation. Do you love God? And then he asks another question. He says, do you love God's people? Mm. Do you love the brethren? Because somebody who says, well, I love God, but I hate people, uh, that kind of a person, John says, is a liar and is self-deceived because he says that you can't say, well, I love God. I haven't seen him, but, uh, but I, I hate these people uh, around yeah. me. It was kind of like Linus in the, the Charlie Brown Peanuts cartoon where he says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand, right? <laughs> and so yeah. he asked this question, do you love the brethren? And then he asked another question. He says, do you keep God's commandments? You know, and of course, these would be the teachings of Jesus. And so, you know, do we do we live according to the principles of uh, Jesus' teachings and the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament? And so, these are just a few of the litmus tests that he laid down. And then he, in chapter two, he says, "I write these things to you, brethren, so that you don't sin." And then he says, um, "But but if you do sin, uh, we have an advocate uh, with Christ." The uh, the the father and or with with God the Father through Christ, and so uh, I think it's in First John one nine where he says if you confess your sins, he yeah. is faithful and just to to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and so the goal is for us as Christians having been saved, having been justified by grace through faith, we, we are believers. We're now in God's family. The goal is as John says, for us not to sin. But he says, yeah. but if you do, because we do still have the capacity to sin yeah. as believers, even indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. we Say that again. I mean, even as a born-again believer, this is a process. A, a born-again believer still will commit some sins. Now, it shouldn't be yes. habitual, shouldn't be intentional, but you can be yes. born again and still commit a sin, right? Yes, exactly. And so he's saying, so if, if you do sin as a believer— then we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus, the righteous one. And so it, it seems like, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but it seems like what John is saying is, hey, if you sin, you confess it, you get things right with God, and you move on, and you keep going forward. And I think a test for the true believer, uh, there's a couple of them with the sin issue, do you feel conviction about your sin? Uh, I remember hearing from a young man one time who was living in just ongoing, perpetual sin. He was uh, sleeping with his girlfriend. He was uh, getting drunk all the time. And, and I asked him, I said, does it bother you at all when you do this? Do you, does your conscience bother you? He said, no, not at all. Now, mm. See, I think that would be somebody who needs to question whether or not they're really in Christ, because the Holy Spirit in you would be grieved with yes. that kind of, uh, of sin. And so the other thing is, um, do you confess your sin, and do you are you growing, and are you uh, maturing as a Christian? Because we're not going to reach sinless perfection on this side of eternity, but what's the trajectory? Um, are you maturing, and are you growing? Are you moving towards Christ? Is the, is the old things being put away, and, and, and all things becoming new? And so that I would point people to the First John as a, a great place to go in the Scripture 
uh, to sort of ask some hard questions of yourself. Do you love God? Do you love his people? Uh, do you, are you, are you seeking to keep his commandments? Do you repent when you sin? Uh, and do you have a desire for the things of God? Um, and, and, and then also I think in loving the brethren is also, uh, the, the question of, do you, are you a part of his family? Are you part of, um, I don't, don't want to make this too personal, but are you part of a local church? where you're walking Amen. out Christianity with brothers and sisters in Christ uh, because that's part of loving the brethren. And so yeah. uh, these are great questions that I think help us to have uh, the assurance that John's talking about there saying, yes, I know that I am in Christ. My sins are forgiven and I am in, I am walking in relationship with the Lord. And, and you know, a, a moment ago, you mentioned one of my favorite verses, 1 John 5, 13. And folks, by the way, this summer, July 12th through 14th, I'll be at the Cove teaching 1 John. Uh, you know, Israel, you mentioned the New Testament book of 1 John. Um, every summer at the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina, it's been my joy to be there like 18 straight summers. And Angie and I will be there and Will Graham, the son of Franklin Graham, he always asked you, teach a book of the Bible. And I've taught Romans and Genesis. Well, this summer, first time I've ever done it, but I'll be teaching verse by verse through 1 John. And I just, I didn't mean to give a commercial here, but the website of The Cove is T-H-E-C-O-V-E, thecove.org. And uh, if you put my name in the space bar, you'll find it. I would love to see you at The Cove uh, July 12th through 14th, and there'll be people from all over the world. I mean, literally 50 states and internationally, we'll have a great time of fellowship. But Israel, one of the verses that helped me when I was a college student and I uh, was became a born-again Christian, and then, you know, six months into my faith, I began to have doubts. And it was like the devil was whispering in my ear and and like, God couldn't love you. Come on, Alex, you're too bad of a sinner. And that one of the things that drove me into the Word of God was I wanted to know for sure if I was born again. But 1 John 5, 13 says, These things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life, K-N-O-W. And, and I will say in my own case, a lot of things, the fruits, and I, I could tell I was growing, but it was the promises of God's Word, building my conclusions on the promises of God's Word. That's what gave me the assurance. And I, I think that that will work for anybody who's sincerely seeking Jesus today. Would you agree? Absolutely. And so we're so grateful that we have access to the Word of God and I would just encourage our listeners, too, to make sure that you are availing yourself of that, if possible, on a daily basis, because that really is how you grow as a believer, to be immersed in the Bible. We have more access to the Bible than any generation in, in all of human history, uh, especially in, in the West. You know, we have so much access to the Bible, and yet in some ways we access it less than many other previous generations and even other cultures where a Bible is hard to find. Um, oh, yeah. we, we need to be grateful and we need to take advantage of, of the resources that we have here in the United States and Canada and, and other parts of the West. Amen. Brad, thank you for a wonderful question. We're going to go to my home state of North Carolina, Gil in North Carolina. Gil, thanks for holding and welcome to Truth and Liberty. Yes, thanks so much. Can you hear me all right? Uh, we got you. Thank you for calling in, Gil. Great. 
Well, my question dovetails a little bit with the last one about capacity to sin. We have the capacity to sin that we got from Adam after he sinned, but initially Adam had the capacity not to sin. So now we're doomed with that capacity that we got from Adam, and how is that consistent with a just and fair God? Okay. And and like why we would stand guilty for Adam's sin. Is that exactly. what you're asking too? Yeah. Um, Israel, let me let you go first. I've got some, some thoughts on this, which I think and hope are biblically informed. But uh, my personal re- responsibility to God and the sin of Adam and Eve, what's your take on this, uh, Israel? Well, I mean, there's uh, two aspects of this. I, I think I want to maybe take a little different angle on that, maybe let you address the original sin uh, question more directly. Uh, but I was thinking about in James, where we're told that no temptation has befallen us except that which is common to man, but God has given us within that temptation uh, and a way of escape that we can bear up under it. We're also told um, uh, that that God tempts no man, you know, uh, but each one is is tempted when he's driven is uh, drawn away by his own lust. Actually, we're probably conflating two scriptures there, but um, where where it says that that God doesn't tempt us, but we're drawn away by our own lust, and so it really is this Adamic nature. Um, it's this fallen nature that we've inherited from Adam. Um, that that these desires within us that uh, is called the flesh. Um, and the flesh has its wants and it has its desires. And there's the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And Romans 7 talks about that, how as believers, we have this desire to, to do what is right, but then the flesh is still very strong and we have this pull. Um, and so, the, so as regenerate Christians, as regenerate believers, we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us to be able to withstand temptation, to withstand sin, uh, doesn't believe doesn't mean that all Christians will live in sinless perfection. Uh, certainly, we don't, and we won't. Uh, but thankfully, we do have uh, this advocate with God, Christ, uh, the Savior. And so, um, so the the issue of uh, of our fallenness is that we are born not wanting to do what is right, not wanting to please God, not wanting to be obedient, not wanting to live in holiness, but just to simply please our flesh all the time. And that's how we come into the world. And it's only really through the power of the gospel and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we that we have the enabling and the capacity to be able to uh, to overcome sin and to live in a way that pleases God. And so uh, so thank God for the work of the cross and the uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, that teaches us to walk in newness of life, so we're not just slaves to sin, as Romans six talks about, but we can we can enter into Romans eight, where it talks about the joy of living uh, as a slave to righteousness rather than a slave to sin. Uh, Gil, let me let me speak to this a little bit, and thank you, Israel. Um, we would need a savior. Even if if we hadn't done, quote, any bad things, because I have people, uh, guys, I'll, I'll be sharing the gospel, especially like with young people. And, you know, maybe they protest a little bit and they'll say, well, you know, I'm not such a bad person. I haven't robbed a bank or done any of those, you know, overtly bad things. But what, what a lot of people don't realize is, listen how I say this, folks, this is a legal universe. 
you say, well, what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, there, there are laws. There are laws in the physical world. There are laws in the spiritual world. There's the law of gravity. You may have never heard of Isaac Newton or even believe in gravity, but if you, you know, fall off of a rock or a high place, uh, you will experience the repercussions of the law of gravity. You'll hit the ground whether or not you know anything about gravity. We are sinners by birth and sinners by choice. Now, even if we hadn't done many bad things, quote unquote, we still have the imputed unrighteousness of Adam and Eve because it is a, in a spiritual sense, it's a legal universe. So let me explain. In Romans chapter four, it speaks about Abraham and it says, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him righteousness. Now, the word impute, a great word, and I'm sure Israel and I could do a whole show on imputation. What does that mean? That, that something is counted to you or accredited to you or, or infused or attributed to you. Now, the beautiful news is, this is great news, that if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, and you're born again, the righteousness of Jesus is accredited or accounted to you. And that's why Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, this is beautiful, folks. Romans 4. This is your homework assignment. Read Romans 4. <laughs> it says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him righteousness, but not to Abraham only, but unto us also, to whom righteousness will be imputed if we believe on Jesus Christ. Now, the imputed righteousness of Christ, yay, that's wonderful. But in an unsaved state, before we trust Christ, we have the imputed unrighteousness of Adam and Eve. Now, you might say, well, hey, I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask to be born. Well, that's true. But if you're a human being and you're awake and you realize, okay, life is happening, I'm accountable to God, the beautiful reality of this world is God made us to have a relationship with himself. Now, the bad news is we're sinners. The worst news is our sin has separated us from God. We have this twofold indictment. We have the guilt of Adam and Eve, our, the heads of our race, and then we have the guilt of our own deeds. We need salvation. But the good news, the great news, the, the indescribably wonderful news is we have peace with God through Jesus. And the Father, God Almighty, He looks at you and He doesn't see sin. He doesn't see guilt. He doesn't see the imputed unrighteousness of Adam and Eve. He sees the holiness of his own son. That's why Israel, I used to always say, I'm a saved sinner. But really, in the eyes of the Father, the born-again Christian, in, in God's eyes, is really a saint because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, because of the righteousness of Christ, freely given. Um, our name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Um, God sees the born-again child of the king really in, in a sense of sainthood, doesn't he? Yeah, I think there are some people who may look at themselves and say, well, I, I think I'm righteous. 
you know, many of us have seen those uh, like man on the street interviews that Ray Comfort and people like that do, where they say, are you a good yeah. person? And they say, yeah, I'm a good person. And, you yeah. know, and, and they re really don't think they've done anything bad. And yet the scripture is universal and that we not only have attributed guilt, but we have actual guilt. You know, all yeah. have sinned and fallen short of the of the glory of God, Romans 323 tells us. And so th there's no one righteous, not even one. Yeah. And so um, there, there's also, I think, about the man, the rich young man who came to Jesus. And he said, you know, good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, sell everything that you have, uh, give it to the poor, and, you know, you'll have eternal life. But but at first what he did was he he went down a list of the, I've kept the Ten Commandments, you know, which is a pretty tall order. I mean, most of us would uh, would not be so bold as to claim I've kept all these from my youth, and yet this guy did. And so Jesus goes straight to the heart of the matter and shows the man his covetousness. And he shows him that in his heart, um, his heart is, is not right. His heart is not pure. His heart is sinful. And the Sermon on the Mount really deals with that as well. And so it's not merely uh, you know, the actions of, well, I haven't killed anybody or, you know, I haven't uh, stolen anything major. Um, that's not what God says um, is is required for us to be guilty before him. It's the motives of our heart, the inclinations and desires uh, of our heart that put ourselves against the word of God and, and God's law. And so and, all of us are are guilty uh, you know, as fallen, uh, being born in Adam's line, you know, Adam's guilt mm -hmm. imputed to us, but we are also uh, personally guilty of actual sin uh, in our hearts and motives, uh, even when not in our performance. And so we sure. all stand guilty before God and in need of Christ uh, as our only Savior. Well, that that's like that Matthew 7, 21 through 24, the people that were outwardly religious, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? And Jesus said, depart, I never knew you. Folks, we've got a break coming up. If you need spiritual help, the number for prayer to know how you're saved, if you want to make sure of that, call 719-635-1111. When we come back, more with Israel Wayne and the Foundations of Christianity. Stay tuned. At Truth and Liberty Coalition, we work to unify, educate, and mobilize the body of Christ to change nations. That's why I want to encourage you to go to our website at truthandliberty.net and subscribe so that you can begin receiving regular updates uh, about our show, news items, action alerts, blog posts, and much, much more. Uh, all you have to do is go to the website, click subscribe, share your email address, and you'll begin to be equipped to stand for truth in the public square. Are you in ministry and want to connect with other like-minded ministers? Andrew Womack founded the Association of Related Ministries International, or ARMY, to serve, equip, and empower you for success in your ministry through relationships, community, and resources. But just being a part of this, uh, being filled with the Word of God and with ARMY, and fellowshipping, knowing that I have other ministers with me, it is awesome. We have met such precious people through ARMY. Uh, there's people I know I can call when I'm in a jam. Ministers have a safe place to come. We can unify and unite for the kingdom. As an ARMY member, some of the benefits you'll enjoy are Bible teaching correspondence courses, regional advocates for personal support and ministry, regional events for networking, one-on-one -on -one ministry and encouragement, our monthly newsletter, and more. You don't have to do ministry alone. 
Join this growing network of dynamic and elite ministers from across the U.S. and around the world today. Welcome back to Truth and Liberty. Alex McFarland with our very special guest, author, speaker, Christian communicator, Israel Wayne. And I see we've got some calls and folks, that number, if you've got a Bible question, could be about what largely we've been talking about salvation, but any Bible question or worldview question, the number is 719-619-2341. And let me urge you uh, folks, Israel Wayne, his new book on uh, True Foundations, A Modern Catechism, I urge you to get that book. His website is familyrenewal.org familyrenewal.org, great website, or christianworldview.net. Um, also, where, where could people find your speaking tour and your travel schedule, Israel? They can remember my name. It's israelwayne.com, israelwayne.com. And so people can uh, stay connected with us there. And also, if they're interested in having me speak at their conference or event, I would love to uh, talk with them. And we, we would love to come and speak at your church or your family camp or uh, conference uh, that's a big part of what I do. Oh, and I've got to ask you, um, what prompted your parents to name you Israel? Well, obviously, it's a, a good biblical name, right? And yeah. so uh, I've been very grateful to have that name throughout my life. I've rarely been confused with other people in the room. And yeah. so it's, uh, it served me well. Um, at, at what age did you ponder and realize that you've got a pretty special first name? Yeah, I think I was a young child when I realized it. And um, I remember hearing a story that said that the uh, the name Israel, there's several different variations on it. One can mean one meaning can be prince with God, but, yeah. but one said that the, the name means one who struggles or wrestles with God. Right. And uh, as a young child, I didn't quite identify with that, but later in life I did. And so um, I, I have found that there's uh there's, there's sometimes there are moments in our lives where we have to contend with even things what we've been taught and raised with and brought up with in church that we have to ask ourselves, do I actually believe this? Um, yeah. Am I just going along with this because this is how I was raised and this is what my parents believe? Or do I believe this because I actually think it's true? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I was uh, I was saved as a young child and raised in Christian church, but uh, I think I was 17 years old when I walked into a Christian bookstore and I saw a book by Josh McDowell, uh, and that book really changed my life. And uh, uh, you know, owe Josh a lot for that. Uh, listen, later on in the show, let, let's let's have a Josh moment and talk about because I too am a great beneficiary of the work of Josh McDowell. But um, right now we're going to go to some more calls. By the way, folks, if you've got a Bible question, call us seven one nine six. One nine two three four one. Going to go to Colorado, Barbara in Colorado. Barbara, thanks for holding. You're our next uh, guest on Truth and Liberty. Uh, welcome. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Um, my question is: Is uh, how do you minister the gospel to Catholics? Uh, I grew up Catholic. Twelve years of Catholic school. Um, I never read the Bible ever, all those 12 years, we read a missal. And I have friends that are Catholic that were raised in a Christian home, and I don't know, how do I minister to them? Because as when I was a Catholic, uh, they they actually encouraged you to pray to Mary and the saints, not to Jesus. Even though I knew Jesus was the Son of God, 
but I never heard the born again experience. But thank God I did get uh, born again when I was 22 years old. So. Wow. Um, th this can be tough. Um, Israel, do you want to start? Because um, like with so many, um, there's a difference between religion and relationship. And uh, I I've known some practicing Catholics that I'm convinced were born again. I've known many that um, I was concerned that they weren't. How, how do you start with this one, Israel? Well, I just spent the whole month of August uh, speaking in Latin America. I spoke at mm -hmm. 20 different events in 28 days. And wow. there is a difference between how Roman Catholicism is presented in places like Latin America uh, and certain nations in, in Europe, you know, Spain and France and some places like that, as opposed to the United States. Um, there are places where Catholicism is presented um, in more of an evangelical packaging uh, here in the United States. I think they've moved and shifted more towards you know, trying to attract uh, younger you know, Protestants and evangelicals. And so they've even taken on a lot of the terminology from the, uh, the Protestant evangelical community. So um, so there's a, there's a lot of variation, I guess, what I'm trying to say within Catholicism and, and what is even uh, believed. But if you, if you look at the Roman Catholic Catechism, for example, uh, and you look at the way that they answer questions, particularly on what we call justification, which is how we are made right with God, um, there's a fundamental difference between the, the teachings of Roman Catholicism and biblical Christianity. And so a question that I would raise is, is just to simply ask, what, what do you believe that you have to do in order to be made right with God and to be in a right relationship with God and to, to have assurance of your salvation and your relationship with God and assurance of heaven? Uh, what do you believe someone has to do in order to uh, receive that? And listen to what they say. I think rather than just judging them by a label, you know, ask them a question, and it gives you the opportunity then to just uh, appeal to the Scripture and say, well, what, what Scriptures uh, would you use to support your view? And then you can share the Scriptures with them. And so I think one thing is just certainly uh, being kind and loving, realizing also that there's a lot of um, relationships that are connected to this. There's family heritage uh, and things that are very deeply rooted for most people in this uh, this cultural uh, religious tradition of Catholicism. And so separating away from that feels for many people like they're they're cutting themselves off from people that they love. And so it's it's a very di dicey uh, type of of thing. But I think um, sharing the scripture, the Word of God, because uh, they hold to uh, you know they accept the sixty six books that we do. They have a few extras, but uh, they accept our sixty six books as being the Word of God. And so you know usually just taking them to the scripture itself in a kind and loving way as a friend, uh, I think is appropriate. But but the doctrine of justification by grace through faith alone is is something that is quite different within Protestantism than uh, Roman Catholicism, where it's really like a merging of, of faith and works uh, together uh, for salvation. Yeah. Barbara, God bless you. And, uh, you know, I, I've encouraged different Catholic friends to read the book of Romans, and but to begin and say, you know, God, please reveal yourself to me. Because, you know, um, Psalm 119 verse 18 says, open my eyes, Lord, that I may behold wonderful things from thy word. And I've, I've said to people, say, get your Bible and just say, God, 
reveal yourself to me. And then if you read like in Romans 5, 1, I mentioned that it says being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and clearly the impartation of God's righteousness. In other words, we're, we're, we're made right in the eyes of God. Uh, clearly it's by faith, not works. Now, you know, being discipled, being diligent, going to church, praying, those are good things that every believer ought to do, but the outward works are not meritorious for our salvation. It's the work that the Lord did on the cross, which we uh, receive by faith. And uh, blessings to you, dear one. A a good book, and let me recommend this book um, by... um, Norm Geisler, G-E-I-S-L-E-R, Norm Geisler, and I think the co-author was, the last name was, um, well, I don't recall, but it uh, is a book, uh, Evangelicals and Catholics, uh, and it's about where do we agree, where do we not agree, but uh, Google that by Norm Geisler, impeccable uh, work. He's in heaven now. I knew Dr. Geisler, but he's a great scholar on that subject. Blessings to you. We're going to go to my home state of North Carolina. Howard in North Carolina, thanks for holding, and welcome to Truth and Liberty. Hey, Alex. How are you this evening? Well, good. It's good to hear your voice, and uh, thanks for calling in. Hey, spirit of full disclosure, I want to give a shout out, and I want to hear about the timing on your Christmas Eve service. Southside Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, Howard McNeil is the pastor. They graciously, graciously give us an office and a room. In fact, for those of you watching, you're seeing my studio at Southside, and guess what? They don't even charge this evangelist any rent. I feel like I'm kind of like one of your missionaries. So, Pastor Howard, I cannot overstate how much I appreciate you and um, the investment that Southside makes in me and in the Truth and Liberty broadcast. I'm so grateful for you. And I I know I burn up a lot of electricity probably, but uh, (laughs) before your question, Howard, uh, tell us about Christmas Eve and your your website, your service times. Tell us about Christmas at Southside. Um, The website is ssbcgreensboro.com. Uh, our Christmas Eve service is on Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. It's a candlelight service, and we keep it to one hour because we know folks have uh, family obligations, and it is just a wonderful, uh, sweet time. We uh, spend a lot of time in God's Word during that hour and spend a lot of time uh, with the old traditional Christmas carols uh, because they have so much sound theology in them. And we sing that, and we spend time in God's Word, and we always share the gospel, and uh, God always blesses. And we love it when guests come and people who don't um, typically attend church uh, but would like a Christmas Eve service, we love it when they're there and uh, bless us with their presence. Well, uh, let me just say, folks, if you happen to be in or near central North Carolina, Southside is one of the greatest locations right on Highway 85 in Greensboro, and uh, I've, I've heard Howard preach many times. In fact, heard him this weekend, and he's a great speaker, and come to that Christmas Eve service or Sunday morning service as well. 
But um, Pastor Howard, what's your question for myself and our special guest, author Israel Wayne? Hey, Israel, thank you for taking my call this evening and for your time. I just wanted to ask you, what do you see uh, across American culture as the dominant worldview currently? Well, thank you, brother. Uh, appreciate your ministry and uh, how you're serving the Lord there. Uh, thank you so much for what you do. I often say that uh, pastors do real work. What I do is fun. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if Alex feels the same way, but yeah, I, um, I do. <laughs> yeah. So, so George Barna actually has stated that the the fastest growing worldview in the United States is an idea or concept called syncretism. And syncretism is when we merge aspects of Christianity with paganism. And there's some startling uh, statistics about even evangelical churchgoers. I think, if I remember correctly, it was something like 65% of American churchgoers currently practice some kind of New Age or occultic practice, like astrology, uh, or, you know, tarot cards or like, you know, Ouija boards or, you know, things that are very associated with um, New Age mysticism, with a cult. Um, and, and there is a, a new infusion. Uh, well, it's been here for, you know, really since the 70s, but of Eastern pantheism and, and just that whole, you know, the, the Beatles brought a lot of that with them in the, in the late 60s and 70s. And, you know, and so there's there's this uh, new age spirituality, and it has, um, and so there's a, a smorgasbord of ideas that people are uh, collecting as their worldview, and they draw a little bit from this and a little bit from that, and some some self help moralistic therapeutic deism, and you know some some new age spirituality and some humanism and atheism, and they throw it all together in a big gumbo, and George mm -hmm. Barna says that this is really becoming the dominant religious worldview in the United States is syncretism. And yet the scriptures warn so strongly against that, against this mixture. You know, I'm, I'm reading through Leviticus right now in my, my Bible reading, and God just kept warning the people of God against this mixture. Uh, you know, and, and the way he dealt with it with the Israelites was even like, you know, don't have even a, a mixture of fabrics and, you know, like there had, and he was just trying to impress upon them that you can't be like the world. You know, those things don't apply to us today as Christians. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he was trying to communicate with them that you can't have the worship of false gods and, and the integration of this pagan culture into the worship of Yahweh, the true God. So that really is the fastest growing segment of religious belief is this, this fusion of a bunch of pagan ideas with Christianity. You know, Israel, I, I agree um, when Howard was asking what's the dominant worldview. On the one hand, you know, I think about secularism, a world that doesn't allow God in. And then I think about relativism, a world that, uh, you know, I make my own truth, supposedly. And then I, I think about hedonism, that the highest good is to live for pleasure. But then also there's this spiritualism and it's one thing when a person who doesn't know Jesus has this amalgam of all sorts of, as C.S. Lewis would say, a whirlwind of contradictions. But I meet people in churches, like you reference, that they claim to love the Lord, 
I, I've, I've talked to kids, think about this, Israel. I'll say, how many, how many believe in Jesus? You have a relationship with Jesus. The majority of hands go up. How many believe that the Bible is the word of God? The Bible is the true word of God, authoritative in everything it says. 100% of the Christian kids. How many believe that sex outside of marriage could be okay in some circumstances? 100% of the kids will raise their hand. How many believe that homosexuality is, is okay as long as the people are committed? Uh, and they'll raise their hand. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. You claim to believe in Jesus. The Bible is God's true authoritative word. And yet you also, at the very same time, will affirm beliefs and behaviors that are just completely contrary to the word of God. And, and I think you nailed it, Israel, that it's syncretism. We've tried to synchronize and somehow uh, conglomerate all these viewpoints. But here's my, my point, folks. They can't. You can't have two things that are mutually exclusive and both be true at the same time. If Jesus is the risen Son of God, then at the same time, he can't not be the, the risen Son of God. If hetero, heterosexual monogamy is God's design, then it, that means that homosexual promiscuity and deviant sexualities are not God's design. Two incompatible truth claims can't both be true at the same time in the same way. And folks, here's, here's the answer to it. I believe we must base our beliefs on the Word of God the, the word of man is fluid and ever-changing. The opinions of man are endlessly different, but the word of God is forever. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My word will never pass away. Howard, great, great question. Folks, that's why we appeal. Watch Truth and Liberty. Tell your friends because we will do our utmost to proclaim God's word and the true biblical worldview which is rooted in Jesus, the Son of God, Scripture, the Word of God. Um, we're going to keep going here. Uh, Frank in Missouri. Frank, uh, thanks for holding. You are the next caller yeah, very on grateful. Truth and Liberty. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, that uh, takes you back to Josh McDonald and evidence that demands a verdict. Uh, if you're going to uh, and proclaim Christianity, you, you got to be living something and really going through something and probably be persecuted a little bit. Anyways, if you ain't being persecuted, anyways, I do got a question, but I don't know where it fits in. Does it fit into a, a soteriology or pneumatology or ecclesiology or eschatology? My eschatology is kind of cool, uh, uh, Alec. You know me that I lived on the Mount of Olives there prayed over the Golden Gate and the, and the Lionsgate for 90 solid days, had an interview through you to Jonathan Kahn, and that was, I'm still tripping on that, man. I'm telling you what, I'm fired up about, about that interview. But anyways, uh, I, I do have a question about theology on uh and that, you know, I don't know where, where, where would it fit? Would it fit into ecclesiology or pneumatology? The, the, uh, uh, the question is, uh, about uh, baptismal regeneration churches. Uh, okay. You know, yeah. Okay. <laughs> a, a question such as, do you have to be water baptized in order to go to heaven? Yeah. 
right. know, some, something like that. You know, really the difference, I want to know the differences between a baptismal regeneration church and a, a, a church like uh, uh, Andrew Womack is overseeing that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. Okay, well, well thanks. Let, let me weigh in on this a minute. Um, it's imperative to understand that the New Testament uses the word baptism in a couple of different senses. Now, um, in Galatians 3.27, it talks about being baptized into Christ. And uh, Israel, I've had a lot of uh, callers on the radio. They'll call me and they'll say, you're not really in right relationship with God until you've been water baptized in a church. Now, I, I believe in what is often called believer's baptism. Um, that, you know, in like Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and thou shalt be saved. And then it talks about being baptized as a public identification of the faith that you've had. But like in Galatians 3, it says you're baptized into Christ. How? We'll go back a verse, Galatians 3, 26, by faith in Christ Jesus. So um, regarding baptismal regeneration, uh, I reject that. I think we're regenerated by uh, the Spirit of God making us alive. Uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Creation, he's passed from death into life. Um, Israel, I want to kind of set this up for you. Um, we're regenerated, made alive upon our faith in Christ. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. But water baptism isn't what caused that regeneration but we're baptized into Christ, Galatians 3.26, by faith. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, you know, I think if we look at it this way, if, if you get a baptismal tank and you take a heathen and you dunk the heathen in that tub and the heathen gets out, are they saved? No. no. They are very much still a heathen. Uh, dunking them in the tank didn't really do anything for them. So it is the Holy Spirit that regenerates us by grace through faith, and the Holy Spirit is what makes us new. Mm -hmm. And so baptism is this symbolizing of this newness of life that has happened, the reality that's happened in the life of the believer, where the old man has been buried with Christ in baptism, and, and we come forward in newness of life. And you know, I will say that uh, all true Christian churches for 2,000 years have promoted baptism and communion. I don't know of any yeah. faithful Christian churches that haven't uh, promoted the importance of those two concepts. So some call them a sacrament, you know, some just call them a, a symbol. Uh, but regardless of the terminology, it's been deemed a, a essential Christian practice for all true Christian churches for 2,000 years. And so we want to stress the importance of obeying the Lord's commandments in baptism and the teachings of the apostles. Uh, baptism is is uh, something that's very important in the mm -hmm. life of the believer, but it's important because of what it symbolizes. What exactly. it symbolizes like is the, the regeneration the, and rebirth of the Holy Spirit. But the it, water exactly. itself does not make you a new person in Christ. Uh, the water itself uh, w is not what saves us. 
Right. It, it's a picture. And, you know, very often um, uh, we've done, I've attended baptism services. I've done baptisms. And, and very often the pastor will say, um, you know, buried in the likeness of, de- of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. Baptism symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the believer, like John 6, 40, Jesus says, whoever sees me and believes will have everlasting life, and I will raise you up at the last day. We're raised uh, from the dead just as Jesus was raised from the dead. But it wasn't the water baptism that did that. Just like, you know, I went in a jewelry store and tried on this wedding band, put it on my finger. But putting on this this wedding band shows that I'm married, but just putting this on wasn't what got me married. I stood at an altar with Angie in front of God and witnesses, and we said, I do, and the two of us became one. Well, baptism is like a wedding ring. It's a public water baptism. It's public declaration of the faith that's taken place, but like Galatians 3, 26, 27 says, upon our faith, we're baptized into Christ. So the New Testament uses the word baptism in a couple of senses. Uh, Time fleets away. Frank, thank you for that call. Thank you for being a faithful listener and viewer to Truth and Liberty. We thank the Lord for you, dear brother. Uh, Let's go to Nevada, Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah, how's the weather in Nevada? I bet it's a lot warmer than where I am. Yeah, it's a little dry, a little warm. Usual Nevada weather here. Well, send some of that heat our way, because down here in the Carolinas, it's pretty cold right now. But uh, what's your question Uh, on truth and liberty? Well, I'm I'm a longtime Christian, and I'm a huge, huge supporter of former President Trump. But I'm trying to wrap my head around, you know, I kind of sat down and thought about it. And someone brought to my attention, you know, he's been married three times He's cheated on all his wives. He was found guilty of rape within the past year. He's had multiple sexual harassment charges against him. He slept with porn stars. He boasted of grabbing women by the you-know-what. He mm-hmm. was recently found guilty of fraud. He quotes Hitler. He never goes to church. He doesn't even know the names of his own grandchildren. Like, is he a good Christian? Well, um, God knows. Let me let me just say this for for what it's worth. Um, in the in the 2016 election, I talked a lot. I mentioned Dr. Norm Geisler, and Israel. Did, did you know Dr. Geisler? I'm sure you're familiar with his books. Very familiar with his books. I didn't meet him in person, but I know a lot of people who were studied under him and, and were influenced by Dr. Geisler. Uh, let, let me say this in the strongest possible terms. Uh, character matters. Yes, it does. But Dr. Geisler said in voting for a president, in many ways, I, I want to be careful how I say this. I hate to do this with only three minutes to go because we really need to unpack this. But you're looking at the lesser of two evils. Uh, if, I mean, you know, if it was, you know, Billy Graham running against Mother Teresa. Uh, and, and so in the case of a president, if the nominee is Trump versus Biden, 
or Trump versus whomever. And I, I have no idea who the nominees are going to be. But look at the policies and positions. And in, in Trump's tenure as president, 2016 to 2020, um, look, where his soul is, only God knows. But Roe versus Wade was overturned because of the uh, Neil Gorsuch, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, Amy Coney Barrett that he put on the Supreme Court. He moved the, the embassy to Jerusalem. He was a friend to Israel. Uh, he secured or did his utmost in spite of con congressional opposition, tried to secure the southern borders. Uh, he governed constitutionally with the interest of taxpaying citizens uh, in view. So, you know, the question is, I had so many Biden voters say to me in 2020, they said, oh, but Trump is so rude. So the question is, do you want a polite devil or a raucous, brazen, uh, just governor? Or uh, So I, I got to say this, and I'm just speaking for Alex here. I'm not speaking for anybody but myself. Uh, Pro-life constitutionalist, friend to Israel, uh, trying to govern lawfully. Um, if it were Trump versus Biden, uh, I can promise you I'd be voting for Trump. Now, I surely would love the chance to be his pastor and try to get him uh, a little bit of Christian discipleship. But Israel, uh, if, if you care to comment or not, either way, what, what would you say? Uh, voting for a president is not the same as calling a pastor, is it? Yeah, I think we have to uh, certainly believe that morals matter, uh, ethics matter. We don't ever want to excuse inexcusable behavior as Christians. We want to be careful not to do that. Uh, but I will say that, um, you know, we, we need to do better all the way across the board in our political voting. We actually have primaries. We get to choose people. Uh, and I think a lot of Christians sit home and don't do anything. And then we get stuck with people that are less than ideal. So uh, being active on the front end of this is, is really ideal. And, and maybe running for office for some Christians is what needs to happen. Wow. We're almost out of time. We had several people that emailed questions in, online viewers. I'm sorry I didn't get all the questions, but our, our guest, Israel Wayne, author of Foundational Truths, A Modern Catechism, a book I strongly recommend. Hey, my dear brother, thank you for being with us, and Merry Christmas to you and yours. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. Folks, thanks for watching Truth and Liberty, truthandliberty.net. Tell your friends. Blessings to all. Thank you for joining today's Truth and Liberty livecast. You can watch today's and past livecasts in our archives at truthandliberty.net. Our goal is to educate Christians and connect them with resources and organizations to help them impact their sphere of influence. You can help us accomplish this by making a donation at truthandliberty.net slash donate. Join us next time for more Truth and Liberty.